The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, Psalm 91. Does anybody know what they call Psalm 91? There's a term that uh, people use for it, and it's amazing that it fell on today. It's called the Warrior's Psalm. It happens to fall on uh, Veterans Day. Yeah, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. You see the theme of a warrior there. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. Okay, we're in Numbers chapter 8. We're going to do the whole chapter today. It's a lot of verses, but it will go quickly. It's a very technical chapter, okay? So uh, there are pictures of Christ. There's things that you're going to glean out of it that I think you will enjoy. But don't feel bad if you can't retain all of this information. There's a ton of information in chapter 8. Chapter 8, this is entitled, Acceptable to Serve. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you arrange the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so. He arranged the lamps to face toward the front of the lampstand, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now this workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold. From its shaft to its flowers, it was hammered work. According to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses, so he made the lampstand. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and clean them ceremonially. Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them. Sprinkle water of purification on them and let them shave all their body and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. Then let them take a young bull with its grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil. And you shall take another young bull as a sin offering and you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall gather together the whole congregation of the children of Israel. So you shall bring the Levites before the Lord, and the children of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord like a wave offering from the children of Israel that they may perform the work of the Lord. Then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the young bulls, and you shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. 
And you shall stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel and the Levites shall be mine. After that, the Levites shall go in to service the tabernacle of meeting. So you shall cleanse them and offer them like a wave offering for they are wholly given to me from among the children of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of all who opened the womb, the firstborn of all the children of Israel. For all the firstborn among the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them to myself. I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to do the work for the children of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting and to make atonement for the children of Israel, that there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary. Thus Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites according to all that the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so the children of Israel did to them. And the Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes. Then Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord, and Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. After that, the Levites went in to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting before Aaron and his sons, as the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is what pertains to the Levites. From 25 years old and above, one may enter to perform service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and at the age of 50 years, they must cease performing this work and shall work no more. They may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meeting to attend to needs, but they themselves shall do no work. Thus you shall do to the Levites regarding their duties. Okay, today's passage speaks of the purification of the Levites, readying them for service. There are several things they were required to do, and we will go through them as we go along. However, if you noticed, they were all externals. Sprinkling of water, shaving of hair, which I don't like talking about, and washing of clothes. We'll see how these point to scriptural truths, but it's obvious, even before we start, that none of these could make a person pure in the truest sense. Monks of all religions do things like this. Muslims wash themselves in certain ways before they pray. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find any religion that doesn't perform some type of external rite that doesn't really do anything to change the person internally. Were it not for the truths which point to Christ, it almost seems like it's all just an outward show without any real significance. We're told later in Hebrews that the sacrifices of the old covenant didn't actually do what they were intended to do. After all, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. But the people were not left without warnings that the externals needed to be met with internal conviction. Further, as the Bible goes on, it is explicitly stated that things like circumcision of the body needed to be matched by circumcision of the heart. Exactly. That is found as early as Deuteronomy chapter 10. Eventually, the prophets started to really call out that things like rote sacrifices without holy living were useless or even an abomination to the Lord. Were those things written just for Israel? Or are they written for us as well? Well, our text verse comes from 2 Timothy 3. Here's what it says. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
Paul says that all scripture is given to us, and then he describes what that means. But what was he writing about? There was no New Testament at that time. The only New Testament consisted of the letters of the apostles that had been written, but other than Peter elevating Paul's letters to the same level of authority as scripture, the only scripture that actually existed at that time is the body of writings that we now call the Old Testament. Numerous times in the New Testament, it says it is written or something comparable to that when speaking of the Old Testament. Everything found there was to lead us to understand how we are to conduct ourselves now. That includes the idea of purification and holiness as is outlined there. If we go through the motions of living an externally pious life, but don't match that up with a life that is morally pleasing to the Lord, we are far worse off than a person who lives a rather rugged life, but who desperately loves the Lord and who mourns when he falls short. The difference between King David and the high priest Caiaphas is obvious. The Levites were purified for service, and that service continued on for 1,500 years. But during that time, they fell into the same error as everyone else did. If you don't believe that, go read Ezekiel chapter 44. What we need to do is to constantly evaluate ourselves in relation to that internal call for holiness that the Lord has given us. And we need to not assume that because someone is behind a pulpit or wears a fancy set of garments or a pope hat that they are holy. As soon as you start idolizing such a person, that person will let you down. Keep all things in their proper perspective. Hold fast to what is sound and understand that things like we will see today do absolutely nothing in making a person holy unless they have an internal change to accompany the right through which they pass. In fact, As we read and look into these verses, keep reminding yourself that some of the same people who are being set apart for this ministry that we're looking at right now today will be rebelling against Moses and Aaron and thus against the Lord within the span of just a very few short weeks. Remember these things as we go on. It's all to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first thought today is arrangement of the lamps. It's verses 1 through 4. Verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The census has been conducted, the camp has been laid out, the offerings have been presented, and now a new direction is forthcoming, as is evidenced by the words here in verse 1. When the words of this section were actually spoken is unknown. It could even be at the same time as verse 7-1, which spoke of the day when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle and had anointed it and everything in it. However, the placement of the words here has purpose. The gift offerings of the tribes have been made for the priest's use, and what follows will be the actual purification and dedication of the Levites. In between these two events, the Lord places the instructions concerning Aaron's duties in regard to the menorah. Verse 2, speak to Aaron and say to him when you arrange the lamps. Moses is told to speak to Aaron. It is he who is to arrange the lamps. Aaron is the high priest, and the high priest was to be a type of Jesus Christ to come. The description for making the menorah is found in Exodus chapter 25. If you remember that, it was an amazing sermon full of pictures of Christ, thousands of pictures of him. The instructions for its care are found in Exodus 27. The first lighting of it was accomplished by Moses in Exodus 40, verse 25. It could be that these instructions now were given to Moses prior to that, 
or maybe they came later. Either way, the instruction that Aaron was to tend the lamps has already been given, but now come these instructions concerning the lamps' arrangement. As this is so, one must ask, why is it here? An obvious answer would be that the camp only now is laid out in the shape of a cross. Thus, it would be a reference to the light having been in the world, but that it was only seen for what it was at a specific time. If so, then that is what John is referring to concerning the light, meaning Jesus Christ, coming into the world in John chapter 1. The light had always shone in the darkness, but there is a time when the light came forth for all to see. Christ Jesus is our high priest, and his work of illumination, even to the darkest parts, is being pictured by these instructions which are now presented to Aaron. Verse 2 continues, The seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. Beha alotecha et hanarot. The words say, In causing the lamps to rise. The meaning is that when the lamps are lit, the light shines, and then they are to shine. El mu pene ha menora yairu shivat ha nerot. Over against the face, menorah, shall shine seven the lamps. The Hebrew here is extremely complicated, and translations vary. Exodus specified that the menorah was to be on the south side of the tabernacle, across from the table of showbread. Further, they were to give light in front of it, meaning towards the north. These instructions are not just a repetition, but they are more specific in how they are to be arranged. They are to cast their lights towards the north where the table of showbread was. However, being in the south, it would illuminate from east to west as well as the north. But facing the north where the table was, there would be no darkness there at all. It would be fully illuminated. Christ is the bread of life. It is through his death that we partake of him. Thus, the layout of the camp as a cross showing how Christ died is a sign. The menorah lighting up the north end pictures the sevenfold illumination of Christ, meaning the seven spirits of God shining even into the darkest places, even to death itself, and which the darkness cannot overcome as stated in John 1, verse 5. Everybody get the symbolism? The bread here, Christ's body given for us, the light is shining even into death itself. Verse 3, and Aaron did so. He arranged the lamps to face the front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses. Some scholars say that this actually goes back to the initial lighting and care of the lamp in Exodus 40. No, Aaron was not yet ordained to conduct those duties. It was Moses who originally lit them. After his ordination, Aaron assumed the responsibility. But again, regardless as to when Moses instructed Aaron, this is noted now because of the logical progression of thought which has been seen in the layout of the camp, the purification of it, the acceptance of the offerings, and so on. Each step, whether chronological or not, is purposeful as to where it is placed in the narrative. Aaron, as the high priest, is typical of Christ who performs all of these things. Verse 4, now this workmanship of the lampstand was of hammered gold from its shaft to its flowers. It was hammered work according to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. The details of this were given in Exodus 25. The pictures of Christ, which it reveals are many. That repetition of what has already been stated there is to remind us of that and to consider it in light of what Israel represents. They were to be a light to the world. They are being prepared for their journey to the land of promise. Almost everything is set. And so now prior to the purification of the Levites, those who minister between the high priest and the people, 
the description of the menorah is once again given. The light of Christ, given by God's high priest, is to illuminate even the darkest places. It is reflective of what is quoted by Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13, verse 47. It says there, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. The purest of gold, fit for a king, was used to make a seven-branched lampstand. Seeing its beauty makes my heart sing, the workmanship marvelous, stunning and grand. Every detail is so beautiful, each knob and flower, the glistening of the branches as they catch the light. It shines in the dark for hour after hour, illuminating the holy place throughout the night. The glory of God is seen in each detail. Every branch speaks out a marvelous story. And in what it pictures, nothing will fail as the Lord reveals to us his unending glory. Our second thought today is the purification of the Levites. It's verses 5 all the way through 26. Verse 5, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, With the matter of verses 1 through 4 established, the narrative returns to the Levites. In chapters 3 through 5, they were called. Their genealogies were recorded. They were dedicated in place of the firstborn. They were counted, and they had their duties assigned. Now they are to be purified and ordained for their service. There is a difference here in in that of Leviticus chapter 8. The priests in chapter 8 of Leviticus were consecrated for their service. Here, the Levites are purified, but they are not consecrated. If we were to look at the reason for this following the previous passage about the menorah, it is to show that Christ is the one who is the light, and through him the Spirit of God is given, just as the job of lighting the lamp belonged to Aaron. However, the Levites are given to accomplish the other non-priestly duties. This is similar to how ministers act in the church. They stand before the Lord, and they do the duties as he commands them in his word. Verse 6, take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. In Exodus 29, verse 1, the term was kadash, or consecrate, the priests. Here the word tahur, or purify, is used of the Levites. The law of the firstborn being dedicated to the Lord was traded for the calling of the Levites to be so dedicated. Verse 7, thus you shall do to them to cleanse them, sprinkle water of purification on them, and let them shave all their body, and let them wash their clothes, and so make themselves clean. There are three things which are to be accomplished in the purification of the Levites. The first is to sprinkle the mechatat, or sin water, on them. The speculation on what this water is or where it comes from is actually long and detailed. It is probably not the me-nidachatat, or water of separation, described in Numbers chapter 19. That water is specifically intended to purify the sin of those who have been defiled by a dead body. This water here symbolically purifies the Levites from sin, and so it was probably taken from the bronze laver. But this is only speculation. As the Bible doesn't explain its source, we're not going to be dogmatic about it here. Secondly, the Levites were to shave all their body. They were to use a razor over Chal Basar, or all the flesh. Hair in the Bible, as you've heard again and again and again, signifies awareness. Also, the flesh is that which is opposed to the spirit. As this is a cleansing from sin, it is symbolic of removing all the awareness of sin from oneself in order to live in the spirit. Now, one of the things that you need to think about here is that when you see monks from any culture, what do they do? They shave off all of their hair. 
right? This is something that is universally known in man. Hair pictures awareness, okay? And people seem to intuitively know this. In one culture over in Malaysia where I lived, when the woman had a baby, they would shave the hair of the baby because they understood the transfer of inherent original sin to a child. They didn't know why they were doing that, but that's what they did. And so we see these type of things cropping up in the world, which are actually seen in the Bible, explained to us. And thirdly, they were to wash their clothes. It is an external act signifying purification. These rites picture the work of Christ. One example of this is recorded in the book of Hebrews, which says this, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You see, the symbolism of the Old Testament is being revealed in the New, and it's not talking about external rites at all. It's speaking about your heart and using that Old Testament symbolism to show that in Christ you are to have an internal change in who you are. The washing of the garments is an emblem of that internal conversion of a person. It symbolizes a sinless nature because of the work of Christ. On the last page of the Bible, we read this. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Now, do we actually go out and wash our robes before we go into the New Jerusalem? No, it's a picture of Christ washing us clean, whiter than snow, it says. He removes our sin as far as it is from the east to the west. This is what's being pictured here. This symbolic purification of the Levites will be more perfectly realized in the millennial reign when there will again be offerings in Judah and Jerusalem. This more perfect purification is prophesied in Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, chapter 3. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem would be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Verse 8, then let them take a young bull with its grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil and you shall take another bull as a sin offering. This is the same offering that was required for various sacrifices in Leviticus. A par ben bakar, or bull, son of oxen. Par comes from parar, which means to defeat. Bakar means to inquire or to seek out. It pictures Christ who defeated the devil, seeking out those he would redeem. Along with that, there was to be a grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil. This pictures the purity of Christ being completely filled with the Spirit. These would be for a burnt offering. A second young bull would be brought forward as a sin offering. It is the same sin offering which was required for the entire congregation that had sinned in Leviticus 4 verse 14. As the Levites stand in the stead of the firstborn, and as the firstborn represents the entire family, the same sin offering is made for them as for that of a sin by the entire congregation. Everybody see the symbolism? Okay. Verse 9, And you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of meeting, then you shall gather together the whole congregation of the children of Israel. It would be impossible for 22,300 Levites to stand within the confines of the sanctuary. The size of the sanctuary is about 1,250 square yards. I got out my calculator and I figured it out. Five people per square yard. I went to density um, rules for, you know, uh, uh, 
what do you call it, rock concerts and stuff online to see what density rules were. Five people per square yard would be hugely cramped. And guess what? That would only be 6,250 people. And that doesn't even take into consideration the tent of meeting or other articles in the courtyard. At best, you might be able to get 1,000 people into the sanctuary, and that would still be very cramped. It would be further impossible for all two to three million people to gather, excuse me, at the immediate beginning or in front of the sanctuary. Therefore, it must be assumed that all of the Levites are standing outside of the sanctuary with their leaders representing them inside and the leaders of the tribes of Israel also standing there as representatives of the whole congregation. From there, verse 10. So you shall bring the Levites before the Lord and the children of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. With those designated to represent the others, there is then the laying on of the hands. In this act, the representatives of the people are symbolically transferring the congregation's obligation of dedicating their firstborn to the Levites. From this time on, the Levites would be so dedicated to the service of the Lord. They are given over wholly to the priests as the people's representatives. They are, in essence, a living sacrifice to the Lord, just as Paul says of us in the New Testament. Verse 11, And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord like a wave offering from the children of Israel that they may perform the work of the Lord. Obviously, Aaron did not pick up the Levites and wave them. And based on their numbers, it is obvious that this was not done to every Levite individually. As there are 1,440 minutes in a day, if you were to wave five a minute, it would take over three days, night and day, without any bathroom breaks to do all of them. What most likely happened is that he pointed to those representing the whole, and then he made the motion that would be made in a wave offering. The waving is before or in the face of the Lord. It was an acknowledgement of the omnipresence of his vision. In this waving, the Levites are symbolically shaken loose from the congregation and henceforth devoted to the service of the Lord under Aaron. Verse 12, then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the young bulls and you shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. Now with the Levites detached from the congregation and attached to the service of the Lord, their first act is to offer their own offerings for atonement. This is accomplished now by their own laying on of hands. The sin offering acknowledges and pleads for atonement of their sin, making them acceptable for service. The burnt offering pictures the giving of their lives and their abilities wholly over to the Lord. By going verse by verse, the logical and orderly procession of thoughts becomes clear. One thing leads to another, and the next thing needs to be done, and then one follows after another after that. Verse 13, And you shall stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons, and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. This is not a second waving, but it describes more fully what is occurring. The Levites are first stood before Aaron and his sons when they are offered to the Lord. In other words, they are being separated from the people, taken in place of the firstborn, and offered to the Lord, but as servants to the priesthood. The lesser in position is stood before the greater. And the reason for all of this is, verse 14, thus you shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. The whole purpose of the rite is that of separation and attachment. The Levites are to be separated from the greater body of the congregation, and they are to be attached to the Lord. 
If one were to translate this verse using the meaning of Levi, the meaning of Levi is the word attached. If you use that meaning, its intent actually comes through. We'll repeat it again, just explaining the meaning of the name Levi in the verse. Thus you shall separate the attached from among the children of Israel, and the attached shall be mine. They shall be attached to me. Verse 15, after that the Levites shall go in to service the tabernacle of meeting. In saying to go in to serve the tent of meeting, it means for the service of the tent of meeting. The Levites were not authorized to go into either the holy place or the most holy place, but were to remain in the courtyard and assist the priests as needed. They were also responsible for taking down and setting up the entire sanctuary, including the tent of meeting and the tabernacle. And they were designated to carry the most holy objects once they were covered by the priests. Verse 15 continues, So you shall cleanse them and offer them like a wave offering. The words are to be taken in the past tense. In other words, they are to do their service after they have been cleansed and washed. Verse 16, For they are wholly given to me from among the children of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of all who opened the womb, the firstborn of all the children of Israel. If the whole purpose of the rites is explained in verse 14, the explanation for that is given in this verse. The firstborn was claimed by the Lord in Exodus 13, verse 2. And then the exchange for the Levites was stated in Numbers 3, verse 12. The emphatic words of verse 3, 9, Netunim, Netunim, Hemalo, or given, given to him, meaning Aaron, are repeated here as Netunim, Netunim, Hemali, or given, given wholly to me. The claim on the firstborn is released for the males of Israel, and an absolute claim on the Levites is now enacted by the Lord. That is further explained with the words, verse 17, For all the firstborn among the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them to myself. The words here are exceedingly similar to Numbers 3, verse 13. The Lord is repeating that the firstborn of both man and beast were claimed by him. The plague upon the firstborn came upon Egypt. The only thing that saved the firstborn was the sign of the blood. Because the Lord spared them, they were claimed as his from that point on. The firstborn of Levi was then exchanged for the firstborn of Israel, both man and beast. However, the firstborn of Levi was a permanent release. The firstborn of the beasts was a one-time release to level the playing field. I don't know if you remember that, but that's what's been going on in the past seven chapters. After that initial granting of the exchange of the firstborn animals, each new firstborn was still to be offered to the Lord. What will happen to the firstborn of the animals is first explained in Numbers chapter 18, and then that is further defined in the book of Deuteronomy. But in short, they were to be redeemed if a man or an unclean animal or they were to be set apart as holy if a clean animal. When set apart as holy, they were to be taken and eaten by the people at their annual feasts. Yes, like the first and second year of tithes, the people ate their firstborn clean animals in celebration to the Lord. Verse 18, I have taken the Levites instead of all of the firstborn of the children of Israel. He has given up the claim on the firstborn and made a permanent claim on the Levites. However, as noted in the previous verse, the firstborn of Israel would still need to be redeemed. 
that was by payment of a five shekels of silver tax because all firstborn were considered holy to the Lord. So when Jesus came, he was the firstborn, they would have paid that five shekel tax. Verse 19, and I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel. The words as a gift are not correct. It is a plural verb. It should say something like, and I have given the Levites assignments to Aaron and to his sons. He has made a claim on them and they are his. However, he has given them to Aaron and his sons for assisting in their work. This is similar to the land of Israel, of which the Lord said, the land is mine. It is his. However, he gave it to Israel for use. It is not a gift as if they have a right to do whatever they want with it. When they are obedient, they may live there and they may use it. When they are not, they may not live there and they may not use it. Similarly, the duties of the Levites are for assistance of the priesthood of the people, but they are ultimately for the Lord. Verse 19 continues, to do the work for the children of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting. This means that they are to do the work instead of the children of Israel. Without having called the Levites to service, the duties they would do would have gone to the people especially the firstborn of each family. In calling the Levites to service, the people would no longer be under this obligation. And there was a benefit to this, verse 19 going on, and to make atonement for the children of Israel. The idea of atonement here is not of sacrificial offerings. You know, the day of atonement, they killed the rams and they took the blood in and it atoned. It covered over the sins of the people. That's not what this is speaking about at all. Rather, the type of atonement being spoken of here is the turning away of wrath in the performance of one's duties. It is seen in a marvelous parallel passage later in the book of Numbers with these words. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Phineas defended the honor of the Lord when he ran a spear through a man and a woman that were doing something they shouldn't have been doing. In that, he turned back the wrath of the Lord, covering over that which was not right. The Levites were authorized to come near the sanctuary and assist the priest. No other person could come near unless they came with an offering. The Levites thus turned back the wrath of the Lord in the sense that they performed services which would incur wrath for any non-authorized commoner. This continues to be explained with verse 19 going on. That there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary. This word used here, negef, or plague, is used only seven times in the Bible, and all are in relation to the people of Israel. The first was in relation to the blood of the lamb saving the firstborn. The second was in relation to the redemption money for the firstborn. Now it was used in relation to the Levites in place of the firstborn. Are you seeing a pattern here? They had replaced them, and they are considered purified for the tasks of service. If the people approached unlawfully or incorrectly, the plague would result. The final time Negev is used is in Isaiah chapter 8, where it is ascribed directly to the Lord, meaning Jesus, in relation to the people of Israel. 
He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That verse from Isaiah is then used by Paul when speaking of Jesus in Romans chapter 9 and by Peter also speaking of Christ in 1 Peter chapter 2. In essence, Christ, who is the firstborn, by the way, became the very plague upon Israel that the blood of the lamb, the ransom money, and the Levite was to protect them from. In their rejection of him, they rejected what these types and shadows only pictured. It is a terrible mistake to underestimate and thus reject God's provision, which is found in Jesus Christ. If you have noticed, the term children of Israel has been used five times in this single verse. Five being the number of grace is surely used here to show that what God has done in the selection and appointment of the Levites is intended as an act of grace among the people. Its very intent is to atone for them and spare them from the inevitable plague. Verse 20, Thus Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites according to all that the children commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so the children of Israel did to them. Moses and Aaron performed what they were told to perform. But the children of Israel likewise did what they were asked to do. Again, this certainly must mean the leaders of the tribes. The impossibility of the entire congregation gathering in front of the tent of meeting and all of the Levites being inside of the sanctuary for ordination necessitates that certain designated representatives were chosen as emblematic of the entire whole. Understanding this, what was said to be done was, in fact, accomplished. Verse 21, and the Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes. This was in accord with verses 6 and 7. As instructed, so they did. The symbolism was explained there, and with all of the information you've gotten in the subsequent verses up until now, it's best that you go home and I want you to reread this entire sermon. In this, the parts that have leaked out of your ears will return in clarity as to why they were specified. Verse 21 continues, then Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord. This is in obedience to verses 11 and 13, as instructed, so it was accomplished. Verse 21 continues, and Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. This is in accord with verse 12, as instructed, so Aaron performed. It's rather amazing to think that after all of the details concerning the Levites so far in the book of Numbers, and especially in several chapters which dealt almost solely with them, that they still needed atonement apart from the regular atonement of the people. It should tell all of us that we may be the most qualified people in the world. We may be of the most noble lineage of all. We may perform rituals of purification that are greater than anyone else on the planet, and yet without atonement, we are wholly unacceptable to enter into the service and the presence of the Lord. However, for the Levites, these things are now all completed, and so something new begins. Verse 22, after that, the Levites went in to do their work in the tabernacle of meeting before Aaron and his sons. Again, as before, the Levites could not enter into the tent of meeting. However, the brazen altar of which they would assist at is directly connected to the tabernacle. The performance of their duties there would be considered as part of the duties of the tent of meeting. Further, they were assigned the duties of taking it down, transporting it, and putting it up again. From this time on, they are now set apart to the Lord for the service of the priesthood. Verse 22 continues, As the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them. This is a standard note of obedience. Directives are given, the action is taken, and then a note of completion of the work, as was commanded, is then provided. 
it is given time and time again to show that nothing required of the Lord was allowed to fall. As John Gill says, he exactly observed every punctilio of it and complied with it. A plus for Moses. Verse 23, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, now a supplementary but new section is introduced. It is supplementary to that concerning the Levites, but it is new in what it specifies concerning the ages authorized to serve and what they could do in that service. Verse 24, this is what pertains to the Levites. From 25 years old and above, one may enter to perform the service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting. This verse does cause a perceived conflict with verse 4-3, which said from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, all who enter the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. However, there is no conflict between the two. First, the census was for the set purpose of determining the sabah, or hosts prepared for war. In other words, those who would perform the function of the honor guard for the Lord. Secondly, they were tasked with the melakah, or work of the tent of meeting. That would certainly include the honor of the movement of the sanctuary. Here in this verse, those 25 and above would enter into the tzavah ba'avodah, or warfare in the service of the tent of meeting. What is probably being said is that it then pertains to the time when Israel arrives in the land of Canaan. It was actually anticipated to be in less than just a couple of months. Until they arrived, the census was for those who were to perform functions, including the transport of the sanctuary. Once in Canaan, that would only happen under very rare circumstances. In such a case, those 25 and above could serve in the lighter service duties until 30 when they would join into the full labors required of the Levites. Later, in 1 Chronicles, David is going to assign Levites for service at the temple in Jerusalem at 20 years of age. So we started with 30, we went to 25, David is going to make it 20. That was probably because the Levites were spread all throughout Israel, and there was a need for more Levites to assist with the increasing wealth and numbers of people in the kingdom. The age assigned by David continued from that point on, and even after the exile. Sergio, our good friend with a good brain, while looking at these numbers of these three instances, noted that they actually form a numeric chiasm. Very interesting. Anyway, whatever the Lord's trying to tell us, pretty cool. Verse 25, and at the age of 50 years, they must cease performing this work and shall work no more. Regardless of the age of the starting duties, the service of the Levites was to end at 50 years of age. There are commentaries, some which come from Jewish sources, that state that this meant only in the service concerning breaking down, moving, and putting back up the tent of meeting. That does not agree with that. It clearly says that they are to turn from serving in the Sava or Lord's guard, and they were to no longer serve. Regardless of what Israel actually did, the law is clear. <coughs> work until 50, and then cease performing work any longer, however, verse 26 finishes with these words. They may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meeting to attend to needs, but they themselves shall do no work. Thus you shall do to the Levites regarding their duties. Here is a clear distinction between the heavy work of the service and the mishmeret, or charge, of the tent of meeting. They could perform the watch of the Lord, ensuring all went well and ministering in this capacity with their brothers, but they were to no longer perform any of the heavier, burdensome tasks. E.W. Bollinger defines the number 50 as that of deliverance and rest following on as the result of a perfect consummation of time. 
That sits quite well with the concept of the Levites retiring at the age of 50. As I explained in a previous sermon, everything relating to the temple and the service, including the temple itself, the sacrificial system at the temple, the duties within the temple, the person of Moses and all that he did, Aaron, the high priest and his sons, and also the Levites, all of it pictures the person and work of Jesus Christ. Every one of those things that I just mentioned, every one of them is fulfilled by one person. As standing in the place of the firstborn, the Levites perform the function of the firstborn, just as Christ does in reality. In the New Testament, the term firstborn is used nine times. Seven of those are in relation to Christ in one way or another. In this capacity, Christ is the one who performs all, all of the duties that would have been accomplished by the Levites who are taken in place of the firstborn. It is true that in some ways they tended to things between the people and the priests in somewhat of a fashion as a minister does today. And scholars often point that fact out. But even those duties are given as gifts of ministry by the Lord. Our ability to accomplish those things is only because he enabled us to do so. In the end, and despite the complexity of passages like today's, If we just keep telling ourselves that what we are seeing here is merely a snapshot of how God tends to us through Jesus Christ, it all makes much more sense. But it also should alert us to the fact that God is holy, and he expects us to be holy. The Levites were set apart to, as we saw, make atonement for the children of Israel, that there be no plague among them. God is holy. To fail in treating him as such, consequences were sure to come. The people could go so far, but they could go no further. The Levites could go so far, but they could go no further. The priests below Aaron could go so far, and they could go no further. And even Aaron was limited in his duties. Holiness is something we must be on guard to maintain. As Hebrews 12 verse 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Verses like that shouldn't scare you, though. The Lord calls us to holiness because he made us holy. We are holy because of Jesus Christ, and therefore we will see the Lord. However, it is our responsibility to pursue that which we already possess. To squander that is to squander the joy that we can possess in this life as we live in the presence of God and in anticipation of a more perfect life in the presence of God. In your calling... Whatever it is, do it in love always, in peace towards all, and with a sense of holiness that you are the Lord's and he has called you to such. In this, you will prosper in the work of your hands and in the walk set before you. Before we close today, I want to remind you of what I just said, that because of Jesus Christ, you are deemed as holy. But that's only because of Jesus Christ. Not a person on this planet, and I don't care how many eons exist from the beginning of time until the last man is born, not a person on this planet will come before God the Father without being covered by the atonement of Jesus Christ. You are unholy in and of yourselves and by nature. The only thing that makes you any better than anybody else anywhere on this planet, including Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin, is that you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you are not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are unholy and you will be condemned. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, everybody knows John 3.16, but we all fail to remember what John 3.18 says. If you don't believe in the Son, you're condemned already. The deal is done. You are condemned already because you inherited the sin of your first father. Jesus came to undo that. 
and to give us a chance to stand before the Lord covered by his precious blood. And that is done by accepting what he has done and it is done by faith and by faith alone. It is by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. We will not work our way to heaven. In fact, God rejects that because he's already sent his son to do the work. And if we say, I need to do something, and I had a couple emails with people just in the past 24 hours of people trying to help other people understand that you can't add to the cross of Jesus Christ. And they're trying to do that. And all that is is an affront to God. God, I'm going to do something good for somebody so that I can earn your favor. He rejects that because he's already done all of the work that can make you good. After you're saved, then he will accept your works, but not until then. Bill Gates, millions of dollars for AIDS research, it doesn't get him this much closer to God because he's unholy in and of himself. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Please call on the Lord Jesus. Just receive him in your heart. That's all you need to do. I'm a sinner. I understand that I'm separated from you and I want to be saved. And the Bible says you will be saved. Not maybe. Might lose it or anything like that. You will be saved. Okay? Closing verse. Psalm 135 verses 19 through 21. Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord out of Zion who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Woohoo! Isn't that great? Next week is Numbers 9, 1 through 14. If you miss it the first time, there are provisions for you as a holdover. It's entitled the Lord's Passover. Everybody knows they had the Passover. Well, if you missed it the first time, he gave you a second opportunity. We'll hear about that next week. That'll be your 16th number sermon. And I'd like to tell you this. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and he has a purpose for you. It may seem as times as if you're lost in the desert, wandering aimlessly. But the Lord is there and he is carefully leading you to the land of promise. And so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Okay, I have a question for you. I've been trying to stump you over the past couple weeks to get you to think things through. Actually, I have two questions. If you notice at the beginning of the sermon, I wrote something down. It's because I thought I'm going to get you twice today. The first one is, which king tried to usurp the Levitical priesthood and how did he try to do it? Because this all pertains to what we looked at today. The wrath of the Lord is going to come upon you, the negef of the Lord, if you don't come through the Levites. King Uzziah. He went before the altar and he presented incense and the priest came in and says, you're not to be in here. Well, what was that? Why do you think he was doing that? Does anybody have any clue why Uzziah was doing that? What's that? He thought he was boss. He thought he was boss, but in a special way. Going against God. Well, he was, but there's a, a certain reason why he was doing that. It's because a few years before him, his father, David, wrote something in the 110th Psalm. He said, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Uh, and guess what? Melchizedek wasn't of the order of Aaron. And so the Jews knew that a Messiah would come that would not be of the Levitical priesthood. And he would also be a king, which is inferred in the 110th Psalm as well. Or it's not inferred, it's stated. So there would be a king priest who would minister before the Lord. And he was thinking, I will be the Messiah. And guess what happened to him? Leprosy on his forehead and he was shut out from the presence of the Lord for the rest of his life. Second question. 
Why does it say children of Israel in the Old Testament? It says it again, one verse today, it said it five times and it said it many more times. Why did it say the children of Israel in the Old Testament? Paul explains it in the book of Galatians. When you're under law, you are under a tutor, you're a child. But when you come to Christ, you become a son through adoption. So in the New Testament, we're sons of God through adoption. But in the Old Testament, they're just kids, they're children. That's why proper translation should say children of Israel instead of sons of Israel. You both failed on that. You all get 50 lashes with the wet noodle. But that's okay. At least you'll never forget those, will you? Our poem today is called Acceptable to Serve. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, these are the words he was then relaying. Speak to Aaron and say to him, when you arrange the lamps, so you shall do. The seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand as I am instructing you. And Aaron did so. He arranged the lamps to face toward the front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses in that very place. Now this workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold. From its shaft to its flowers, it was hammered work according to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. No detail did he shirk. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. Do this to you as I now tell. Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them, sprinkle on them water of purification, so I mean, and let them shave all their body and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. Then let them take a young bull, so you shall do this thing with its grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, and you shall take another young bull as a sin offering. And you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of meeting, so to you I tell, and you shall gather together the whole congregation of the children of Israel." So you shall bring the Levites before the Lord, and the children of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites according to my word. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord, like a wave offering from the children of Israel, that they may perform the work of the Lord. Do these things as to you I now tell. Then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the young bulls, and you shall offer one as a sin offering, and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord, to make atonement for the Levites, so you shall do this thing. And you shall stand the Levites according to this word before Aaron and his sons, and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel. And the Levites shall be mine to tend to their duties in this sanctuary in which I dwell. After that, the Levites shall go in to service the tabernacle of meeting. So you shall cleanse them and offer them like a wave offering. These things I have assigned you shall be completing." For all the firstborn among the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast, as to you I have described. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I them to myself sanctified. I have taken the Levites, this group of personnel, instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to do the work of the children of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting and to make atonement for the children of Israel. So to you I tell that there be no plague among the children of Israel. Such shall not be when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary. Thus Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites as the Lord bid, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so the children of Israel to them did. And the Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes through and through. Then Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord, and Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them as he was told to do. After that, the Levites went in to do their work in the tabernacle of meeting before Aaron and his sons, so they did. As the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them according to what the Lord to them bid. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, These words he was then relaying. This is what pertains to the Levites from 25 years old and above, as directed by me. One may enter to perform the service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting, so shall it be. At the age of 50 years, they must cease this work from performing and shall work no more. To this directive, they shall be conforming. They may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meeting to attend to needs as to you, I say, but they themselves shall do no work. Thus you shall do to the Levites regarding their duties as I instruct you today. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct our lives would be a mess. And so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand and may we take it into our lives daily. It apply. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah. And amen. Before we pray, I'd like to announce that we have one more person. Steve, were you in the military? Okay, so we have two. Steve here was in the military, and my father was in the U.S. Coast Guard, so we want to thank both of them for their service as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the people that have served in the U.S. military, defending this nation, doing what was uh, they were called to do. And Lord, we thank you for those that are currently serving. Lots of people that are doing their job faithfully and some that aren't. They'll probably end up in Fort Leavenworth, but we would pray for them as well, that maybe they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Lord... We certainly thank you for the nation in which we live, despite all of the many faults that we are facing in this world right now. As a people, as a people which is turning from you and going to really perverse and wicked ways, we would pray that you would put your hand upon us and turn us around. And if it means financial collapse, if it means disaster from outside or from within, may it be so that we would turn our hearts back to you through your hand of correction. But keep us as a nation, Lord, because this is your nation established by covenant with you, on November 11th of, I think it was the year 1620 in the Mayflower Compact. In the name of God, amen. And they went on to say what they were establishing and that has not changed. We are a Christian people and we pray that we stay that way for all the years that this nation exists. And we love you, we praise you, and we exalt you. And we do so in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Amen.